home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Hello, folks. My name is Doug, and welcome to episode 25 of the Thumb and Hammer Podcast. Well, over the Christmas break, I spent a lot of time online doing some research. I made the decision that I was finally going to invest in a pocket hole jig. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, pocket holes are used in woodworking in order to screw pieces of wood together. It is, shall we say, a controversial joinery method, to say the least. A lot of woodworkers simply don't like pocket holes, but there are a lot who do like them, especially for assembling shop furniture. Since I want to get my workshop up and running, I plan to make a lot of shop furniture. The most popular jig is made by Craig. They have a few models available from the K3, which is the older one, to the K5, which is the newest one. The K4 is in between. And most of the woodworkers that I follow on YouTube seem to be using the K4 jig. What these jigs do is they guide a drill bit in order to create pilot holes in one board so that you can toenail it to another. It's quick, it's easy, and the purists will argue that (laughs) it's not really woodworking. But I don't care. I decided that I wanted one of these jigs. Now, if this was in the days before the internet, I probably would have just gone to the store and slapped down my money for the latest and greatest, assuming that I could afford it. Or I would have compared it to the older, less expensive model and made a decision as to which one was the proverbial better buy. In all honesty, if I saw someone using the less expensive model, it would be a case of, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. At any rate, I would have made a decision based on the information available, which, before the internet, wasn't really a whole lot. Where did we used to learn about what tools were good and which ones weren't so much? You could ask your dad, father-in-law, cousin, the handyman down the street, what they used or would recommend. Okay, I I know it sounds kind of sexist, but those were different times. Uh, There were descriptions in catalogs. There were tool reviews in magazines. There were commercials on TV. In fact, if an advertisement said that a tool was the... Number one choice of professionals. <laughs> Who were we to argue? But there was very little in the way of actual testimonials. Who actually has used the tool and what do they think of it? Well, that's all changed with the internet. Now, there's no shortage of information available. Oh, contraire, one might argue that there is too much information available. Just type in whatever you're researching along with the word review and you'll see what I mean. So getting back to this Craig jig. I don't know anyone personally who has one. I've seen these things used all over YouTube, but now I was looking to buy one for myself. I really wanted to know if the price difference between the K5 and the K4 was actually justified. So I looked for reviews. And I came across a review on the Workshop Addict channel. Workshop Addict, all one word. 
Really cool channel. A lot of tool reviews. Anyway, the title of this video was Craig K5 Jig One Year Follow-Up Review. This was exactly the sort of thing I was looking for. Most online reviews are initial impressions, usually accompanied by an affiliate link. But this was a review after a year of using the jig. And it was also in relation to the K4 jig. Well, the reviewer, John, went into detail about the differences and what he believed made the K5 the better jig. Sold. Latest and greatest it is. So, then I start comparison shopping online. Amazon, Home Depot, Lee Valley. Trying to see who had the best price. Well, Amazon had a so-called super kit that had everything that you could possibly need to get started. The jig, clamps, screws, carry cases, a chart, and a book. But it was pricey. Maybe the K4 was going to be good enough after all. So I went back to YouTube to watch some of my favorite woodworkers use their K4 jigs. Steve Ramsey of Woodworking for Mere Mortals has an excellent, excellent introductory video to using pocket holes. I mean, that's great, but I am already sold on the method. Drew Short of Rockin' H Woodshop has an outstanding video for making a cabinet for the K4. Really cool. Kind of a jig for the jig, if you will. And then I came across another video from Workshop Addict uh, that showed up in my recommended videos. This one was for the Porter Cable Quick Jig. I'd never heard of it before. I'm already hours deep into watching videos and reading reviews, so... What's another 11 minutes? In this video, John starts off by saying, this thing is fantastic. And then he goes on to say that whenever he would do a review for the Craig K4 or K5, he would get comments that the Porter Cable Jig is better. So now I'm starting to rethink everything. By the end of the video, I am sold on the Porter Cable Jig. I check out a couple other reviews, and really there are only a couple, and now I'm salivating. What makes the quick jig better is that it is self-adjusting. It self-adjusts to any thickness of wood, whereas the Craig has to be manually adjusted. And I'm all about anything that removes human error from the equation. So now I go back to Amazon to see how much this thing is going to cost. I was expecting it to be outrageously expensive, but it's not. It's the same price as the Craig Super Kit, only it doesn't have all these extra accessories. Well, there would be a few other things to buy, but the Craig Super Kit also includes a carry case that is not really necessary because most woodworkers are going to take that jig and mount it to a board. They're not going to store it in a box. Um... There's also a book on building cabinets, and while I'm sure that contains useful information, it's probably nothing that can't be found elsewhere for free. So really, I'd be paying more for the Porter Cable Jig, but I'd be that money would be going towards a better jig as opposed to going towards a bunch of stuff that I don't really need. 
So I'm on Amazon, I'm on Home Depot, I'm checking out all these different websites, comparing prices in the US and Canada. The Porter Cable Jig is only available at Amazon in Canada. It's available on Amazon, it's available at Home Depot, it's available in other places in the US. Um, now, in the US, it's about $100 cheaper. But once you factor in the exchange rate, plus the shipping and the import duties, the price works out to be about the same as um, Amazon in Canada. But then I start to think, you know, the Craig stuff is everywhere. The drill bits are easy to find. The Porter cable drill bit is much bigger and a lot more expensive and... Let's face it, what's going to happen if it's no longer available at Amazon when I need to replace it? So I start wavering again. So I go back to YouTube yet again. Now my recommendations list is full of pocket hole videos. But really, I mean, Craig is the dominant player in the space. Well, anyway, I, I follow Jay Bates. And one of his videos pops up where he's talking about all the Craig jigs that he owns. He has the K4. He has the K3. He has the Foreman, which is more of a protection machine. And in this video, he also casually mentions that he does not have the K5, so he can't speak to how good it is. But anyone that he knows who has the K5 and has used the Porter Cable has said how superior the Porter Cable jig is. Okay, I mean, if you're looking for testimonials with no ulterior motives, I mean, come on. Between the Jay Bates video and the Workshop Attic video, there seems to be a lot of third-hand recommendations for Porter Cable. Finally, I'm ready to place my order. It only took six hours of watching YouTube and reading reviews on Amazon and searching various retailer sites... <laughs> I mean, I lost count of the number of times I went back and forth watching the same videos and visiting the same websites over and over. I spent more time on making a $300 purchase for the workshop than I did when we spent $25,000 on a car. In a way, I long for the good old days when there wasn't this abundance of information where a decision was made based on little more than just a brand name. But now, there's a plethora of review sites. And there's customer reviews on retail sites. There is so much noise. More voices and more opinions tend to muddy the waters. Instead of clarity, the decision-making process is just a murky mess. My wife says I tend to overthink stuff, and... <laughs> I think she's right. I'm not going to argue with that. But I will defend myself by saying that I want to make informed decisions. The problem is, there's just too much information. How can you make sense of it all? When it comes to reviews, some people say to pay the most attention to three-star reviews since they tend to balance the positives and negatives. Maybe that is the best way to go. I prefer to read the one-star reviews to see what the negatives are, and to kind of judge if the negatives actually have any merit. For example, 
when we were in Florida deciding on a place to eat, my wife chose a restaurant that had mostly excellent reviews that were offset by a one-star review. The reason for the one-star? The lobster mac and cheese had chunks of lobster in it. Seriously. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And therein lies the problem with customer reviews. There's no standard. There are products that get bad reviews because of problems with the shipping or the seller sent the wrong item. If you just look at the average star rating, you're not getting the full picture or an honest picture. And then you had the reviews from the people who never actually use the product. Five stars. Looks good. Place my order today. Yeah, not helpful. Plenty of people use the Craig Jig and like the Craig Jig, but there'll always be someone who gives it a one-star rating and say in the review that they would never buy it because it's made of plastic. Yeah, that's not helpful either. The bottom line is that when it comes to deciding which tool or other product to purchase, there is more information than ever to help you make that decision. Unfortunately, you still have to make that decision. It's an amazing world we live in, isn't it? I mean, the phone in your pocket is more powerful than the computers that put man on the moon. You have all this information literally at your fingertips. But how reliable is that information? When it comes to DIY home improvement or home repair stuff back in the day, pre-internet, you'd ask your dad or uncle or father-in-law for advice. Once again, I'm not being sexist. It was different times. And you generally would assume that they knew what they were talking about and... That probably explains a lot of the bad DIY that we're fixing up today. Or you bought a how-to book. Or you read a magazine article. I mean, those were the resources. Then the internet came along. In the late 90s, early 2000s, before YouTube, the go-to sources for answers to your questions were forums. You could post your question, and if you were lucky, you would get a number of answers. The problem is that if you ask three experts the same question, you are likely to get three different answers. Then along came blogs with tutorials on how to do things. And once YouTube gained traction, well, that just made things so much easier to understand because instead of reading a description, you could now watch how something was actually being done. What an incredible world we live in. Well, again, there is the problem with information overload. All the content providers out there have different ways of doing things, and sorry, but not all of them are correct. I came across this one tutorial dealing with electrical wiring. It was pretty basic. I think it was just like adding a light switch or something like that. But the photographs on this website showed wiring that would never pass inspection. I kind of know my way around wiring, and it was obvious to me. But the problem is that it might not be so obvious to others who might replicate what they see. Is it dangerous? Uh, Potentially. 
I could also point to YouTube videos where faced bat insulation was installed with a face the wrong way or where ventilation was done improperly. I mean, I, I could go on. But here's a quiz. Here's a quiz for you. What is the best way to finish a basement? Number one, tar paper against the foundation wall with bat insulation between wood studs, then vapor barrier and drywall. Two, wood studs with spray foam insulation and then drywall. Or three, foam board insulation glued to the foundation wall and the floor to create a continuous envelope with a wood stud wall installed on the warm side of the envelope and no additional insulation or vapor barrier needed. Not sure which is best. Remember what I said about asking three experts and getting three different answers? Well, each of these methods came from one expert. All three were featured on different projects on Homes on Homes. Yeah, that's right. Mike, do it right, Holmes, didn't settle on one way to finish a basement. So if you're looking for the best way to finish your basement, well, you have to realize that there is no one perfect answer. But there's a lot of noise out there, and there are plenty of experts who will have you believe that their way is the only way, and every other way is wrong. And that simply is not true. There's always, almost always at least, more than one way to do something. Sometimes right and wrong are obvious, sometimes they are not. Sometimes it's more a case of good, better, best but there may not be an agreement as to which is which. Again, it's information overload, and it's up to you to sift through the information. Your first step should always be to consult any applicable codes. Your local building department can be a helpful resource. I mean, remember, they want you to get it right the first time. Then you have your real-life folks. Take blogs and YouTube with a grain of salt. Ideally, you will come across several resources that will give you similar or identical information and things will be a little more obvious. But you also need to consider regional differences. For example, construction in California differs from construction in Florida because in Florida, you're building to withstand hurricanes, whereas in California... You're building to resist damage from earthquakes. So you always have to consider where the experts are based. With so much information available at our fingertips, you would think things would be easier. But that's not the case. Sometimes it takes more effort to sift through all that information to figure out what's good and what's not so good. Just be careful that you don't get led astray by bad information because... There is plenty of it floating around out there. Before I wrap up this episode of the Thumb and Hammer podcast, I would like to talk a little bit about a change that took place on one of the other podcasts I listened to. There was a bit of a shakeup over at Adam Carolla's Ace on the House podcast, and I have a few thoughts that I would like to share. 
Now, I realize that Adam Carolla is not everyone's cup of tea, so if that does not interest you, I will take this opportunity to thank you for spending the time listening to this episode of the Thumb and Hammer podcast, and if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. Rate, share, subscribe, it'll help me reach a wider audience. Take care, work safe, and I will talk to you again in a couple weeks. Now, if you are still with me, I would like to give you a little bit of background in case you're not quite familiar. Before he got into radio and television, Adam Carolla worked in construction for about 10 years. He currently has several podcasts, including his flagship Adam Carolla Show, which is, or at least was, in the Guinness Book of World Records for most downloads. I'm not sure whether or not it still holds the record. Ace on the House is a home improvement podcast, which... He co-hosted with his old school buddy, Ray Oldhofer, who is still working in construction. Not too long ago, a second weekly episode of Ace on the House was being produced, and that featured Ray Oldhofer along with co-host Eric Stromer, who is another construction guy and TV personality. The format of both editions of the show were identical. There was a Bit of an opening conversation, followed by home improvement questions that were submitted by video, which makes for a good pod, but that's beside the point. Email or call-in. And it definitely wasn't intended for all audiences. It was sometimes not safe for work, if you know what I mean. Anyway, the format may have been the same, but the dynamic sure was different. Adam has always given Ray a hard time about not owning a house. Whenever someone called in saying that they were a homeowner, Adam would shout, Winner! Implying that Ray was, of course, a loser. That was fine, though. I mean, Ray seemed to take it all in stride. They seemed to work well enough together to give decent, practical home improvement advice. But then came the Spike TV show. Adam Carolla and friends build stuff live. Adam brought Ray onto the show as a builder, along with two others. Now, that show was pretty much a hot mess. It was chaotic. It didn't flow well. Whatever was being built had to be built in real time within an hour. I mean, talk about pressure. But that aside, Adam had apparently hounded Ray to take improv classes to improve his television presence. Ray apparently did not take that directive seriously. So, I mean, it's hard to say where the television dynamic failed. Was it because Ray didn't have improv training, or was it simply because in the course of trying to build a project in an hour, he simply didn't have time for the banter? I mean, we've all been there, working your butt off trying to get something done while being pestered by someone who just won't shut up. I mean, really, were Adam's expectations realistic for anyone to fulfill that dual role? I mean, was Ray supposed to be working on the project or was he supposed to be a lovable sidekick? I mean, which was it? Because I think the expectations for him to do both were unrealistic from the get-go. But this whole improv thing was a contentious issue and... It bled over into the Adam Carolla Show podcast, where Adam complained about it ad nauseum. 
And it should be noted that Ray is not part of that podcast. We've all been there as well, you know, complaining about someone behind their back. But in this case, it wasn't just a small group of friends. This was in front of the Adam Carolla Show audience. Ray was no longer Ray. He was Adam's loser friend, Ray. Meanwhile, back at Ace on the House, you could cut the tension with a knife between Adam and Ray. Adam would constantly disagree with Ray over advice. He would correct Ray for the slightest slip of the tongue and basically treated him like a child. It was very uncomfortable for those of us listening. But things were different on the other edition with Ray and Eric Stromer. It was a kinder, gentler podcast. It was obvious there was a great deal of mutual respect and friendship between the two of them. It was just a whole different vibe. So anyway, it came as little surprise in the new year when we learned that Ray had been dropped from the podcast. The new Ace on the House now features Adam along with Eric Stromer. So here's my thoughts. Uh, As someone who's been a listener of both the Adam Carolla show and the Ace on the House podcast for a few years now. For Adam, success means financial success. For someone who had such a humble upbringing, something he constantly complains about, and who worked crappy jobs, he's kind of let his success go to his head. I mean, kudos to him for being able to get into radio when he did. And that certainly led to the success he enjoys today. But I don't think that he quite understands that there had to be a little bit of luck and timing that had something to do with it. There are plenty of talented people out there who have not had the break that Adam Carolla had. K-Rock could have simply hung up on Mr. Burcham, which was the character he was doing when he was calling into the radio show. Jimmy the Sports Guy, or as he is known today, Jimmy Kimmel, could have declined the boxing lessons that Adam offered to give him. Adam could still be working in construction. So in a lot of ways, Adam has kind of lost touch with his audience. I mean, not being entrepreneurial does not make you a loser. Most of us work for someone else. And you just don't get rich when you work for someone else. You can live comfortably, though. Most of us have jobs that we don't necessarily enjoy. We value our families and our weekends and our time away from work. We get our fulfillment from things and activities that don't make money or that cost us money. I think we're all familiar with the story of the Mexican fisherman. An American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large fish. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The American then asked why he didn't stay out longer and catch more fish. The Mexican said that he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The American then asked, 
What do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman replied, I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take siestas with my wife Maria, stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine, play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. I'm a Harvard MBA and I can help you. You should spend more time fishing and with the proceeds, you can buy a better boat. With the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats and eventually you'd have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to the middleman, you could sell directly to the processor. Eventually opening up your own cannery. You would control the product, the process, and then the distribution. You would leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then LA, and eventually New York City, where you could run your expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, But how long will all this take? To which the American replied, Probably 15, 20 years. But what then? asked the Mexican. The American laughed and said, That's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You would make millions. Millions? Then what? The American said, Then you could retire. Move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play guitar with your amigos. So yeah, there's that. Ray is the Mexican fisherman and Adam is the Harvard MBA, metaphorically speaking. A lot of us are the Mexican fishermen. We work to live, not live to work. Not that I'm saying that one is better than the other. What I'm saying is you can't expect one to become the other. A lot of entrepreneur types out there will reference Jim Rohn, who said that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And you can certainly read this into the relationship between Adam and Ray. And based on that, um, maybe the split was inevitable, at least from Adam's perspective. Um, Adam seems to be of the opinion that he was just trying to lift Ray up, but obviously Ray did not want to be lifted up. And Adam seems to think that Ray should have wanted to be lifted up. Overall, I think Adam is making a mistake. I think he is ignoring the fact that Ray was the reason a lot of people listened to Ace on the House. The thing is, I think that the majority of the audience of Ace on the House relate to Ray more than they do to Adam. And Ray Oldhofer and Eric Stromer together were more relatable than Ray Oldhofer with Adam Carolla. It'll be interesting in the next few months to see what kind of chemistry Ace and Stromer have together. But Adam shouldn't discount his fans. We went through a similar breakup a few years ago on the Adam Carolla show when he fired Allison Rosen. It's getting to the point now where we're going to be playing a game of who will Adam fire next. He wants 10 bits for a show. There's a bit there. Who will Adam fire next? As for Ray, well, yeah, (laughs) 
Ray Oldhofer is a man-child who hasn't matured much beyond high school. But he is a likable dude. And he is knowledgeable in construction and home improvements. Looking forward to seeing where he lands. What are your thoughts? Go to thumbandhammer.com slash pod. Click through this episode, which is number 25, to find the show notes page. And you can leave a comment there. Again, thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you again soon. Cheers.